If you're new to Grace Church on Communion Sunday, we do shift the order a bit. The sermon comes earlier in the service, which is now. Um, and then we'll sing again and have communion together. And then we'll move towards the meal. But if you would turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Sometimes in this fallen world, things are flipped upside down. The law of retribution does not seem to be in effect. The wicked prosper, the righteous suffer. We are dealing with that a bit and as we look in Ecclesiastes this morning. This is a heart test. This verse is a heart test. These verses are a heart test. So, but it's good. God never tries to destroy true assurance of salvation. But it is a good thing to destroy false assurance or no assurance and replace it with true assurance. And so, texts like this are challenging but necessary. And so I would encourage you to be especially attentive as we look at God's Word this morning. But I want to read from verse 10 to 15, just a short part here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And then we're only going to look at verses 10 through 13 this morning. This is God's Word. Chapter 8, verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against evil, an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well for the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the great physician. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, than any scalpel. And we, take, we pray that you would take your word and do surgery this morning. That you would comfort and strengthen the saved. That you would challenge and convert the lost. That you would humble the proud. Bless and clarify and strengthen the meek. May your spirit attend the preaching of your word. To the glory of your name. 
Empower me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit, Lord. Empower us to hear it as your word in the power of the Spirit and purpose to put it into practice, to not turn from its light, but to embrace its light, even when it's painful, and to have it instruct us in the ways that we should go. Lift high your Son. Save and sanctify your people. We look to you. We can do nothing apart from you. In the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Whatever happens, I'll leave it to chance. Another heartache, another failed romance, on and on. Does anybody know what we are living for? I guess I'm learning. I must be warmer now. I'll soon be turning round the corner now. Outside the dawn is breaking, but inside in the dark, I am aching to be free. The show must go on. Inside my heart is breaking. My makeup might may be flaking, but my smile still stays on. Sung by Freddie Mercury, the show must go on by the band Queen. Sad. Does anybody know what we're living for? He says. This is right before he passed away. He was wasting away with AIDS. And he says, whatever happens, I'll leave it all to chance. Heartbreaking. But does anybody know what we're living for? Yes, you were created with a purpose. Our first question, what is the chief end of man and woman and boy and girl? To glorify in God, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our purpose is joy in the glory of God. Satisfaction in Him. Living life for Him. But in the fall, we lost touch with our purpose. We became all about self and here and now and enjoying ourselves as much as possible without reference to God or gratitude to Him. And forgetting what comes after this life. See, sometimes in the short term, that looks like it works. Think about Freddie Mercury who sang that song. Lead singer of Queen. Millions of dollars, worldwide fame. But then, AIDS. And he had to face reality. And he chose to whistle in the dark. Today, I want to challenge us not to do that. In fact, I want to challenge us to live life backwards. What do I mean by that? Look to the end of life first. Look to death, you will face it. Look to the judgment to come. And let that back into and shape the way you live as you walk on this earth. No matter how things look in a fallen world, no matter how things look under the sun, there is a God. And we will answer to Him. So the main point carry away from the sermon is live life backwards by looking to the final judgment and then living in the fear of the Lord.
look there, prepares us for here, if we let it. First section, I just, I'm all over the place as I'm working on these verses, but in light of the, the title I landed on, I decided to call this first section in verses 10 to 11, Living Life Forward. In other words, living life in a way that is all about the now, that forgets about the judgment to come. It's my world and you're just visiting. It's all about me and my self-fulfillment and actualization. But especially this morning, as I, as I looked at these verses and thought about this sermon, I thought about the peril of the church in America. I thought about all the little churches that I've been to where most of the people didn't even know Christ. I thought about one church I'd been a part of where the leadership didn't even know Christ. And they prided themselves into bringing young men in and destroying them and sending them away and getting them another pastor so they could wear him out too. I thought about the peril of religion being man-centered religion, religion that is somehow man working his way to, to God, just doing enough to make God happy. I thought how sometimes the, the lost but religious are highly honored and looked to and write a lot of books and get a TV show and all kinds of stuff. And Solomon says here that there are those, this is a, a fallen world, this is a, a world that sometimes punishes the righteous and rewards the wicked. This is a world that loves a show. And Solomon says this as he's pointing out things that are counter to the law of retribution in this world. He says, then I saw the wicked buried. And that doesn't, that doesn't sound very weird. But in that day, uh, the, uh, those who were to be honored got an honorable burial. The dishonored were basically thrown out like the trash sometimes. But he says, I saw the wicked buried and they used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city or you might have forgotten there's some textual issues going on or one like the Net Bible says they boasted in the city where they had done these things. This also is vanity. This also won't last. It won't always be this way. This is a symptom of life in a fallen world where the wicked are many times praised. And where man seeks his hope in what he has done and can do for God. Many religious people live life forward. They don't think about death. They don't think about the judgment to come. They've done enough and they're doing enough. And if anybody gets to heaven, they will. Others admire them. But they're not, I'm telling you, the church is filled with people who don't know Jesus. The best of churches have in them people who don't know Jesus. But the religious world that flaunts sin and celebrates violation of God's commandments is especially in a perilous place. But some of the most conservative churches in America are filled with the stink of man-made religion and pride and people that aren't ready 
to face the judgment. I'm not being judgmental. I hope I'm not. I'm just telling the truth. You can be very religious and still be what the Bible calls wicked. The Israelites were very religious. And most of them were wicked. The leaders on down. You can be, if you think you are good enough to get into heaven, you are wicked. No matter what your external life looks like. You might be clean and well put together and always pay your taxes and read your Bible and do a whole bunch of things. But if you think you are good enough on the basis of what you do to get into heaven, you would fall in the camp of lost or wicked or needing a Savior, just like the person running with no thought of God in the culture in all sorts of debauchery. Solomon said, I saw the wicked buried, honored in burial, and they used to go in and out of the... See, these people are religious. Going in and out of the holy place, in and out of the temple courts, in and out of the place of revelation, God's presence, all of that. But they were in and out of there for their own reasons and good. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is vanity. Many, many today are counting on their own performance. And I'm going to show you a verse right now that a, a man like R.C. Sproul said, and I never forget him saying it. It was in a little church he came to preach. He said, I'm going to share with you this morning the scariest verse I know of in Scripture. The most terrifying verse I know of in Scripture. And then he took us to Matthew chapter 7, 21 and following. Look at it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, stop. That repetition of the name is a claim to an intimate relationship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who claims an intimate personal relationship with me will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's enough to scare us to death, right? But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, for midnight. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, now watch what they say. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? We were not just religious, but we were in the power crowd and we were doing powerful things. We were seeing signs and wonders manifest in our presence and through our lives. And look what Jesus says to them. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Notice what He doesn't say. I knew you at once and you were going alright for a little while and then you kind of lost it. I never knew you. There was never a true work of grace in your heart. You might have gone to church every Sunday and jumped and shouted and hollered and cast out demons and done all these things, but I didn't know you. What proves... I didn't know you. Look what he says. I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Holman Christian Standard Bible says, you lawbreakers. 
See, John in 1 John says that the love of God is to joyfully keep His commandments because of His grace that He has given to us in Christ. It's to joyfully keep His commandments. Not put on a big show, but to love God by joyfully keeping His commandments. And Jesus is saying, your lives were characterized by lawlessness, which shows I didn't know you. So depart from me. None of us, listen, get mad at me and never come back. I don't care. I do care. I don't want you to do that, but I have to tell you the truth. I do care. But I'm not going to water the message down for you so you will stay. Because Jesus, I have to answer to Him, not you. You might have walked to aisle and shook a preacher's hand and had him promising you you were saved and never to doubt it and all of that. And if it didn't change your life, if it didn't put love in your heart for Jesus, which manifests itself in growing obedience to Him and His commandments, you don't know Him. Please don't go through this life, living life forwards, and get to His throne and be begging Him and hear Him say, depart from me, I never knew you. That is, I agree with R.C. Sproul, that's terrifying. There's nothing to be done about it at that point. There's not room for repentance at that point. Jesus told us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's telling these people, you didn't love me. You might have jumped through a lot of hoops for me, but you didn't love me which proved you didn't trust me, which proved there was not a work of grace in your heart. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. See, Solomon is saying, when he, this is vanity, this is heaven, this is a breath. This won't always be this way. It's going to be made right. There's going to be a time when it's too late. But in this world, sometimes the wicked go in and out of the church, in and out of the place of religion. They are admired by people and they go all the way through this life thinking they've done enough for God when that wasn't the arrangement to start with. He calls for humility and repentance and faith in His Son. Think about Jesus. Who were His main enemies? As he walked on this earth, it was the guys in the robes working in the temple, the religious elite, the religious leaders of the day who were misinterpreting the Word of God and by their tradition trans, uh, transgressing the law of God who, who didn't love God. They loved themselves and their position and their power. They made long prayers for a show and loved to be praised by men, but they didn't know God. Jesus said they were a brood of vipers. Jesus said they made converts and made them twice the children of hell that they were. Pharisees started out as a group wanting to never be idolaters, wanting to honor the true God of Israel. And they kept fencing in the law until they had just sort of wiped it away, crusted it over. They were wicked people going in and out of the temple who were living life forward, not thinking they had to fear the judgment and hating the very Son of God who came to tell them 
the truth. That's frightening. Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious council, all hating Jesus. I heard Chuck Swindoll say one time they're called Sadducees, right? They don't believe in the resurrection, so they are sad, you see. Um, they were the sort of the liberal side, the Pharisees were the conservative side, but there wasn't a righteous side. Aside from a few men who God worked, and we see them as we read the Gospels. See, they were going in and out of the holy place. They were the the ones who judged what is right and what is wrong. And they were actually wicked people who presumed upon God and assumed that because for them life had gone well that they were good, they were okay. Many religious people have a lot of money, a lot of cars, a lot of children. Life's pretty easy. Things are going well. Now, non-religious too sometimes, right? And so we look at around us and we say, boy, I must be doing pretty good. That's the way the, uh, you know, they thought it. The rich people were the ones who were closest to God, they thought. When Jesus said the rich can't, couldn't be saved, the disciples were like, well, who can? Please don't look at your circumstances to determine if you are right with God. Either very bad circumstances or very good ones. Sometimes the righteous suffer horribly and sometimes the wicked are blessed. Well, what happened in Psalm 73? The psalmist was about to lose it. He was struggling until he looked where? The judgment. And said, oh yeah, they're on slippery places. I'm the one that really is blessed. And then he was okay. He began to live life backwards in a better way. See, judgment is often delayed in this world. Verse 11, because the sentence of evil uh, on an evil deed is not executed speedily, how do men respond? The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Because God doesn't immediately smash you, you think, oh, it was okay for me to leave my wife and get me a new one. I'm not saying there's never a time for divorce. but I'm saying unrighteous divorce. Be careful. See, the wicked presume upon God's grace. They think everything is going fine. Just because the sentence against every evil deed is not executed immediately. God is long-suffering. God is patient and His patience should lead us to not wickedness but repentance. And it does when we get it rightly. When we understand it. Listen, look at that verse in verse 11. The sentence against an evil deed. There is a sentence against every evil deed. There is a sentence. The wages of sin is... Death, physical and spiritual, separation from God. Wrath is due us because we have taken our Creator's commandments and brushed them aside and said, I'm going my own way and you should bless it or you don't exist. Play foolish games. Foolish games like trying to tell people God doesn't exist. You know good and well He does. And you will face Him someday. But see, His patience should lead us to repentance. Romans 2, 3-5. Look at this right quick. Do you suppose, O man... And, and so what's happened in the book of Romans is Paul has laid out the case against the, the Gentiles. And then you might have the Jews going, Yeah, get them, Paul. They're wicked. And boy, he turns the guns then in chapter 2. Do you, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
You can, hear, you can hear John the Baptist. God can make children of Abraham from these stones. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness, His forbearance, His patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He's giving you time. He's being patient with you. But watch this. Because of your hard and impenetrant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There's coming a day. Acts 17, God commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He's raised His Son from the dead and He's assigned Him to be the judge and judgment is coming. Repent and trust Jesus. Listen to me. There's not another Savior there's one, and it's Christ. See, religion that forgets the coming judgment will fail the final test. Think about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, you can go read the story later. How did the Pharisee pray? He looked down on this sinner and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like that. I tithe and I give and I... Proud, self-centered doing the things for God. God loves him because of what he does. And the tax collector who wouldn't even look up to heaven said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. See, he knew he deserved condemnation. And Jesus said that the tax collector went home justified, not the proud Pharisee. You see why they loved him so much, right? But he was telling the truth. Religion that forgets the coming judgment will fail the test. Are you ready? In the church today, many will, peer, will hear. Many will hear. Jesus said many. I, I, I wish I could change it. But He said, many will say to me, and then I will say, depart from me. I never knew you. But God, I went to a big church. It was, in a, it was in a form of basketball arena and it was filled with people and, 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 and I've got all sorts of promises and breakthroughs and nobody ever talked about sin and it didn't make me feel uncomfortable. And we all just loved. Don't be one who hears depart from me. Repent and live life backwards. Talk about that in just a minute from verses 12 and 13. Look what he says. He's got some confidence right here. But Solomon says this, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and doesn't pay for it and prolongs his life, yet I know, I know that it will be well with those who fear God. When will it be well, Solomon? He's not talking about it'll always be well in this life. He's already said it don't always turn out that way. But he says, I know that it will be well for those who fear God. And then he says, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. It's going to be well with those who fear the Lord and it's not going to be well with those who don't fear the Lord no matter what it looks like in this life. 
He's looking forward to the judgment. And he says, fear the Lord. We've seen that already in this book and that's how it's going to end. Who will fare well at the judgment? Those who fear the Lord. Not fearing Him in a way of a slave that runs around cowering because of the the harsh taskmaster who beats him with the whip. But this is the fear of a, of a child, of a loving father who, who wants to hold him in reverence and wants to do what pleases him out of love for him. Let me, let me give you this definition. This was in one of Ligonier's daily devotions and I thought it was a good thing to pass along as we're talking about the, the fear of the Lord. But it says this, The fear of the Lord is the fear of a converted person. It's the fear of a converted person. Now here's the definition I've got up there. A reverent love that understands God's grace toward the sinner who trusts in Christ and who, now see this second part, and who wants to do what is pleasing to the Lord. So yes, it's an apprehension of His grace. It's a receiving of Christ as a free gift. It's being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But you know, part of that being saved package is a new heart that goes from hating God to loving God now. And trusting in God now. And wanting to honor Him. What did Jesus say? If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. I love that definition. The fear, fear of the Lord is a fear of the converted person. It's a reverent love. A, a love that stands in awe of God and treats Him with reverence according to His Word and wants to honor and glorify Him because of His grace. See, it's grace toward the sinner who trusts Christ. And then the heart, the new heart, the heart that Psalm 119 heart, the heart that God has turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, now is a heart that delights in His law and wants to glorify Him and grows in doing so. We're not, when we come to Christ and when we are converted, even though we think we are, we're not perfect yet. <laughs> Babes in Christ are dangerous a little bit, right? But we begin at that point to grow more and more like Jesus. So first, the person who fears the Lord understands grace. I mean, John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, he was a slave trader, wicked man who came to faith, and he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost in deserving condemnation, but now I'm found. What do you mean found? He, he chased me down. He finds us. We don't find him. But uh, the heart that fears the Lord is a heart that understands grace. The Scriptures tell us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and He was raised the third day. That He appeared to more than 500 people at once. This is the most provable fact of history without a double standard. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And it proves His Word and His Gospel is true. And He gives salvation. He gives salvation to those who are humble enough to turn from going their own way and turn to Him and receive Him as Savior. All of that's a work of grace. And He works it in us. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It's not of your works, but of His. So receive Him as Savior. 
That's justification, where we come to Christ and we trust Him and we're united to Him, or we like to use the term hidden in Him, so that God looks to us and He sees Christ and Christ's perfect obedience on our behalf and Christ's death and sacrifice to pay for our sin so that He looks at us in Christ and says, Righteous, my child, received. But true salvation not only has justification, it has sanctification where he begins to transform us into the image of Christ or grow us in grace. So see, you saw that in the definition. There's two elements to it. First is the one who understands and applies his grace. And the second part is the one who loves him and wants to do what pleases him. See, that's what the people missed that Christ has to say, depart from me, I never knew you. They had a cheap grace that would get them in, but it didn't transform their heart. They still kept walking their own way, even dressing it in righteous robes. But at the end, he had to say, depart from me. I never knew you. So sanctification is our growth in grace, our growing in doing. We want to do what we wish we could obey perfectly now. We want to do what pleases him. And he grows us in doing what pleases Him or being sanctified. Shorter Catechism 35 asks the question and answers the question, and I'll just read it for you. What is sanctification? Notice where it starts. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole person or man after the image of God and are enabled, power of the Spirit, more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Are you current? You claim to have faith in Jesus. Are you currently dying to sin and growing in walking in joyful obedience to Him? That's the test right there because if that is missing, you don't know Him, you'll hear from Him, depart from me. I warn you today, if you end up coming to faith and you'll be very grateful for that, it'll be His work, not mine though. See, works flow from faith. Works are the fruit of a right relationship, not the means of establishing it. And that's where the very religious, self-willed, proud go wrong. We can't establish our relationship. We receive it. But then He works in us more and more Christ-likeness as we grow. So the true, the one who fears the Lord is the one who receives His grace in Christ and has a heart now that bent towards Him, that wants to glorify Him and is growing in walking in obedience to His commandments. Look at Psalm 112.1. Praise the Lord or hallelujah. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And a lot of times when you see a comma, it's placing it in what's called apposition. It's going to give you a little more explanation to what that means. So blessed is the person who fears the Lord. What does that mean? Comma. Who greatly delights in His commandments. Does your heart delight in His commandments or are they burdensome to you? That's another good test. You said, I didn't know I was coming to the doctor today. I understand. But God did. And sometimes He needs to put us on a stress test, right? So that we can see what's going on inside us. Judgment is sure. That's what Solomon's talking about. It'll be well with those who fear the Lord. Judgment is sure in the next world. It's slow on the earth right now. But it will be swift and sure after death. Look at this. I'll quote 27 in light of 28. We often just quote verse 28. Now watch verse 27. And just as it is... I mean, vice versa. We often quote 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting on Him. Are you eagerly waiting on Jesus? Come, Lord Jesus. Is that the testimony of your heart? Don't look to this world to see if His gospel is true. Look to His resurrection and you know that it is. The end of this book, I'm moving fast. The end of this book in chapter 12, it's going to end like this and we'll talk more about the fear of the Lord then. But he says this, this is what I've been working, Solomon saying, this is what I've been working up to this whole time. This is what I've been trying to convince you of. Now watch what he says. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret, secret thing whether good or evil. Today, how are you doing on the heart test? What are we seeing on the EKG? Is there a heart showing up that's alive to God? Is there a heart showing up that loves Him and wants to honor Him and grieves when it doesn't and is growing in grace? Is there a heart that is trusting in Christ and Christ alone? How's your heart? Are you living life backwards? Are you aware of and having looked to the judgment and realized you're not ready? Have you come to faith in Christ and now you're seeking to live a life that glorifies Him in light of death and the coming judgment? Don't be those people who avoid thinking and talking about death. Don't be those people who don't want to think and talk about judgment. Face it. Christ has faced it for you and promises life to you who will trust Him. Are you living life backwards from the perspective of the final judgment, letting it shape how you live now in Christ? Is your heart and life characterized by a true fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord, here's another way of understanding it. It's opposite of being cavalier and flippant. With God. Now you have a heart that's come to faith in Christ and is seeking to honor Him. In other words, are you converted? And are, are you repentant? Martin Luther said the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. It begins at conversion where we initially turn from our own way and, and turn to Christ and receive Him. But then we don't just go about our, you know, it's a, now it's a life of repentance of God slowly showing us the things in our lives that don't honor Him and working in us through His Word so that we turn from them and trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no salvation without repentance. Repentance is not a second tier. Your heart goes from pursuing your own way to loving God and wanting to honor Him if He's converted you. You won't be perfect. You will be when you're glorified. But do you want to please Him and glorify Him? And are you growing in it? In other words, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone? And are you growing in grace? If that stress test is coming up on that screen with those two results... It will be well with you at the judgment. If it's not, it won't be well with you. Don't avoid it. Hear God's Word.
If you're not trusting in Christ today, let today be the day of conversion. Face judgment today. Quit trying to call your own shots and shape your own world and sticking your thumb in God's eye. Don't procrastinate. Face it. It's loving of Him to call you to repentance and faith this morning. Look to the end. Look to the judgment. And then look to Christ and live in that light. To live is Christ. Let's pray. And let's believe that. Lord, some of us don't know you. Some of us that are listening to my voice or listening to a recording of this don't know you. Are currently on the path to hearing you say, depart from me. I never knew you. Please work repentance in those hearts and faith to a true fear of the Lord. Lord, some of us do know you and some of us have very tender hearts and we're we're easy to shake. So any of your children that truly know you and maybe are even shaken a little bit by this sermon, it is good. Comfort and strengthen us and grow us in, in grace through it. Bring about repentance and conversion faith, Lord. Bring about growth in grace. Deliver us from deception. I pray that no one listening to my voice from the youngest to the oldest will be one who stands before you and hears you say, depart from me, I never knew you. But will hear you say, enter into the joy of your Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for living for us and fulfilling all righteousness for providing a perfect record for us. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for our sins and what we deserve. Thank you for being raised from the grave and reigning for us and the fact that you're coming again for us and the promise that when you appear, we will be like you in glory. We will be glorified. If we die before you come, our spirits will be immediately set free and glorified and and brought into your presence. And we will await resurrection day when we get our new bodies. If we are alive when you come and we are truly trusting you, we will be immediately changed. Death swallowed up in victory. Mortality swallowed up by immortality. Save and sanctify your people. Give us hearts that are responsive to you. Hearts of true repentance and faith. Hearts that overflow with love for you and overflow to others about your love and your grace in Christ. You are our Redeemer. You are our hope. Help us not to hope falsely, but to hope in truth according to your gospel. Save and sanctify your people. It is in your name. It is in the powerful and the blessed name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.